0: Hey guys, brand new podcast, and this is going to be the shortest intro you've ever heard in your entire life from a Bertcast. Um I am home, off tour for the Body Shots World Tour, picking up Europe in two weeks. I will be all through the UK, all through Scandinavia, Antwerp, Belgium, uh, and, uh, Amsterdam, and then ending in Dublin on Cinco de Mayo. Two shows, Ooh, nice. Sunday and Monday, and then two months off out to Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand, fucking tell some people in New Zealand I'm coming, because literally... <laughs> it's the only time on this entire tour we haven't sold out. Oh, I think we've added a show on Sun- in Sydney and in Perth. I think we've added a few shows in Australia. Yes, so if you, you couldn't have. get tickets for your shows in Australia, go back out. Um, I'm in the man cave. I'm with Leanne. The girls are in doing homework. We had a fantastic dinner tonight. And, uh, and now I'm off, to the, I'm off to the store. Yep. I'm off to the store. I'm going to be home, so I'm going to be doing a lot of work at the store. Just kind of keeping loose and making sure that when I go to... Europe and Australia that I'm not tight. Staying fresh? Staying fresh. Nice. Writing a lot of new jokes. Growing my marijuana. It's growing very nicely. Thank you, everyone, for asking.
1: Uh, I think it's called an obsession.
0: Uh, Big video from the Kings game. Tarps off for the boys. Thank you, everyone, for who retreated that. (laughs) Oh, dude. The Georgia softball coach today. Said to me, you got to go to more Kings games. You don't realize when you're a jackass and you act like that. I act like that because I know that you guys listening will get a kick out of it. But you don't realize that people you interact with in everyday life also happen to watch the Kings, right? And are watching it on TV with their family and go, "Oh my God, that's George's dad. That's- oh my God, his shirts off. He's <laughs> that- banging on the glass, yelling Oops. tarps off for the boys. Oops. Um, but that's yeah. Funny. So let's jump into this podcast today. It's with Josh Adam Myers. I've known Josh. For a while now, he's he did... Uh, we'll talk a little bit about him towards the end, but he does have a fantastic podcast called The 500. It, he goes through the best 500, top 500 albums uh, as ranked by Rolling Stone. Is it Rolling Stone? I think it's Rolling Stone. No, no, no. It's the top 500 albums uh, ranked 500 to one, and he goes in with a comedian, and they dissect it. We'll talk more about him. Listen, I want to talk to you about him's new product. Um, if you know if you're familiar, familiar with him's, they are all about male wellness and yeah. everything about them is super easy for the consumer it connects you straight with doctors online who evaluate you and appropriate prescribe medication that can help physical symptoms of anything but what they have now is is a beta blocker that's technically what this is um it is a pill that reduces Anxiety levels if you're terrified to give a speech your throat gets tight You've got a presentation an audition a meeting with the boss your hands get sweaty your heart races You get a little shaky voiced you get performance anxiety. This is your pill. I was on beta blockers uh, During trip flip right when we went to Fiji. I was taking them every day That's not the case with this beta blocker this they were prescribed to me by a doctor But I, the first day I took them I noticed a market difference. I had to drive I had to do a college and I had to drive after the college Uh, like eight hours in a car service and I got two bottles of wine figuring I would get anxiety in the car. And the whole car ride, I kept looking at that wine going, why am I not drinking you? I don't want you, I don't need you. The panic that makes me drink in those situations just simply wasn't there. And I am telling you that is exactly what this pill does. It is a game changer. If you get anxiety like that in performance-based times, this is your pill. All you, I'm being dead serious. Super easy. It's delivered right to your front door in discreet packaging. This means no awkward doctor's appointment. Don't let performance anxiety get in your way. Take action at fourhims.com. My listeners right now get a special offer. You can get started for just ten dollars right now at slash bert That's fourhims.com/bert. That's four f o r h i m s dot com slash bert. Slash Bert. Um, see the website for full details and safety information. Um, but yeah, I have taken these pills and they are they are fucking game changers. If you get anxiety with that stuff. I don't get it for public speaking, but for the dumbest things is what was killing me, you know? Yeah. I, I, I never tried it for flying. Maybe you should. Maybe I should. Maybe you should. I gotta talk to my it. doctor because I mean I could talk to their doctors. Yeah. But I'm already on blood pressure medicine. I don't wouldn't want to lower my blood pressure too, too much. low.
1: Then you just be so chill.
0: This podcast is also brought to you by Lisa Mattresses. Lisa knows how important rest is to a better life. Lisa is a foundation of a healthier, happier you. All Lisa products have been thoughtfully designed to create a better, more comfortable bed and transform your bedroom into a sanctuary that you want to spend time in. Why not? You're gonna spend a third of your life in your bed. Why not have a fantastic bed? And that this was a a, a problem in our household because Lisa sent us a mattress, Georgia snagged it, and we termed Georgia's room the cave. This mattress is the most fucking comfortable mattress. It's amazing. And her room has one window. It is murdered out up against bushes. So literally, you go in that room and you fall asleep like you're on a Xanax and that bed is the tits. By the way, we have a Lisa mattress in uh, in the in the tour bus. Did you know that?
1: Oh, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It, it was, was really very comfortable. Un- the, oh, are you
0: shitting me? It's
1: amazing.
0: Lisa believes all people should have access to deep rest and relaxation, and they make it easier for their customers to know they've made the right choice through their social impact initiative tied to each purchase. What Lisa does is they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell through organizations that work in causes like foster care prevention, and to date, they've donated over 32,000 mattresses to more than 1,000 nonprofits. Lisa mattresses are made in the USA. It's in-home delivery. Setup is available. Financing is also available. Check out the reviews on their fucking website, guys. Seriously. This is what I don't want you to miss out. Don't miss out on a healthier lifestyle. Live healthier. Live happier by resting deeper. Order today and get 15% off your purchase for a limited time at lisa.com slash burtcast. And use the promo code burtcast. That's Lisa dot com slash birdcast using the promo code birdcast l e e s a dot com slash birdcast promo code birdcast and keep in mind that you also get a hundred night risk-free trial plus shipping and returns come on
1: that's what the fuck
0: you waiting for
1: what are you waiting for don't
0: sleep i mean sleep sleep but don't sleep all right i gotta get out of here uh pretty short promo reads today guys um we will have some mid rolls in the middle Uh, I will warn you about these mid-rolls. Thank you for your notes. I always accept positive notes on what I'm fucking up. The mid-rolls were a little bit distracting to people. They literally thought that I changed subjects in the middle of talking to Brian Callen and decided to talk to him about whatever it was. (laughs) Today's podcast is awesome. Uh, Josh Adam Myers started the goddamn Comedy Jam a few years ago, and it was one of my favorite things I've ever done, I was brought to me by Ryan Sickler and Bill Burr, who were producing it with him and helping him get guests, and it was fucking awesome, it still is awesome, he did it on Comedy Central, and it fulfilled one of my life dreams of singing with Scott Stapp, on stage shirtless, oh it was fucking beautiful, it's such a great live show, everything Josh does is thoughtful, it's thought out and it's it's in his lane he is a musician at heart he is a brilliant comedian His podcast now that I am obsessed with is called The 500. It is where he goes down the top 500 albums, as stated by Rolling Stone. I told you, motherfucker. As stated by Rolling Stone. And it is awesome. Jim Jeffries is on it. Uh, I wanted to do Wilco. I am on this coming weeks. This week, we are talking about Notorious B.I.G., Life After Death. And it's pivotal to me because that is the man I shared the cover of Rolling Stone magazine with. When I was, in 1997, when I was voted the number one party animal in the country, it was also the same week that he died. Oh. So that album came out when I was at a very life-changing moment of my life. Uh, I was headed off to uh, what I didn't, I didn't know it was gonna happen, but when I hear that album, I remember rolling around in my black uh, stock Jeep Cherokee. Uh, I remember, um, I remember thinking the world was my oyster I remember talking about that album with Will Smith. I remember I hear certain songs and I think of certain times in my life. That album means so much to me. And we talk about that on this week's 500. But on this podcast, we talk about the 500. We talk about guests he's had. We talk about his career. We talk about his drug addiction and how he got into to kind of the bowels of drug use, which I didn't know that much of. But I did know that it was, it was kind of... Tied in with his best friend Angelo. Angelo was a comedy store guy who was a gr- brilliant comic and I wanted to talk about Angelo. I know that Josh um, attributes a lot of his success into into kind of dedicating a, a lot of his life for Angelo. who was, was his best friend and he was killed in a car accident. Way too young, way too fucking young. This is a fantastic podcast. Josh is an amazing guy. If you haven't, please, please, please do yourself a favor. Go download his podcast. It's called The Five Hundred. It's Josh Adam Myers. He is a friend. He is a fantastic comic, and today he is the guest on the Birdcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Adam Myers. This is the Birdcast. We got in here in two thousand. Right after the crash, so two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two
1: thousand ten, maybe
0: Georgia was in first grade, so now she's in ninth. So n- nine years, eight years.
1: Yeah, you said crash. You mean like the economy? Yeah. crashing. So when yeah. the economy crashed, you struck. Dude, I got very lucky. <laughs> I've been very lucky
0: with finances in that I don't. I haven't made a ton of money in my life. Yeah, but when I have made money, it's when the market is opened up. Okay. So like, so like, I got birth to conquer. In when I was thirty-seven,
1: and then um, still one of my favorite shows. By the way, like I, I don't think you realize how much I loved that show. I loved everything that you did. I was like, it's... And then when eventually when I met you, it was like I was actually like starstruck at first. But then it's also, it was funny because the first time I really got to hang out with you, you were in Chaps and a uh, American flag, men's uh, tight Michael Phelps underwear. That wasn't the first time, was it? It wasn't the first, but that was like... That was like right that was the beginning. first time we hung out. That was one of the first times I really hung out with you. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we
0: had done something in Montreal before. Yes. But, but that was the first time we hung out.
1: Oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah. That was in a room of like... 30 people at a 7 p.m. show, and uh, and you, that was the first time we told the Creed story. I was I, that that show was so
0: dialed in for what I liked. Yeah, there's there certain people that really I believe, um, excelled in that. Not I didn't excel in the singing, but the story leading up. I, I oh, that's all good. you. And I and I think the frontman energy I loved. Yeah, but like like uh, me, Matteo Lane, obviously, obviously, yeah, yeah, but like. Uh, I remember seeing Ron White do the fucking Give Me Back My Bullets.
1: By the Leonard Skinner song? Yeah, and he had the hat. You honestly have been a part of two of my favorite moments in the goddamn Comedy Jam. That one was at the Roxy was the fucking coolest thing I've ever been a part of. The cock socks. Uh Doing Red Hot Chili Peppers and and it's not even just like the the being free on stage and basically you know one quick move and it's literally oh. you know <laughs> a sex crime, yeah. but um but also when you did Scott Scott Stapp on the TV show yeah that to me dude I don't know if you realize this while you guys were singing I was backstage like weeping because it was so beautiful it was so um. We should talk I guess we'll talk about that
0: up front. How did you how did you come up with that idea? How did that how did that manifest itself? The
1: goddamn comedy jam? So so I don't know if you ever did it, but Sara Tiana and Laura Valdivia used to run this show uh, at the Unknown Theater. Did you ever go there? No. It was on the corner of Santa Monica and Seward and it was like one of my first experiences in the LA comedy scene. Like I started in August of 2008 and immediately met like Angelo Bowers and Gerard Carmichael and Yasser and all the guys I started with, Byron, and they used to go there to do that show. And so we went there and I wasn't very good at standup yet, but the, uh, the owner of the theater had all these instruments and then as soon as the show ended, it became this huge party. And the guy brought out all the instruments, and uh, I just love it. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's almost like he's trying to get on the podcast. He, he wants to get on here. So bad. I don't know how much you can hear of
0: it, but like literally, he shows up whenever <laughs> I have a fucking podcast. My old one was worse. Yeah, he would. Gabriel, he would. <clears throat> he would bring merchandise and then try to get on my podcast and sell the. Merchandise. Oh, you're fucking kidding me! I swear to God, he'd be like, "I have a dresser drawer." That I got it a swap meet it's beautiful worth a thousand dollars do you need I'm rose shears I have rose shears with my initials and my logo on yeah. them and then he do he would put an a, a orange on his leaf blower and do tricks where he blew the orange up in the air <laughs> to try to distract us <laughs>
1: You know, you could just schedule him on a different time than you're releasing the it's, podcast. It's, the it's way, really that simple. <laughs> it's the way it works. It's the one. I, I don't know why he doesn't show up on Thursdays
0: when I'm not in town. Yeah, he knows. <clears throat> but so you were doing that. So we're
1: doing this show and the owner of the theater was just this eccentric druggie that loved the party and the show would end and then all the comics would start bringing out instruments. And because I was a better musician than I was as a comic, I just kind of let it. And what I started noticing was there were so many comedians that loved to sing and so many people that were like in that had that musical ability. Then Laura and Sarah dropped the show. I took it over and I brought this house band, Elemento P, on. And so they basically brought people on and off stage. Um, and so when they walked on stage, that meant the comics time was done. But at that time, when they would get back up there, all the comics would start fucking around with them and start doing songs. And so uh, I, I came up with the idea back in 2010 and then just sat on it. And then I started it in 2000 and, and like eleven, the beginning of the year, but it wasn't really what it became. And then it just fell apart because I was doing it at a shitty theater. And then literally when... 2014 when I just was like, I don't know what to do anymore. I had done the new faces route and, and, and the industry was like, well, we don't know what to do with you. You sing, you're dirty, you do all this shit. And I was just like, all right. And then I was like, you know what, let me try this show idea out. And so I, some guy was like, like, you know, we need to do a show. And I was like, well, how about this idea? And he goes, Oh, this is perfect. And then literally the next day I ran into Burr at the comedy store. And he came right up to me after a set and was like, dude, we got a jam again. Because Bill, I met Bill there at the jam. He used to come for the Unknown Theater. And we used to always talk music. And he was like, dude, I'm, I'm playing drums again. I want to do it. And then I was like, well, I got this show idea. And then I pitched it to him. And then he was like, I'm in. Yeah. And then at that moment, that was when it was like, now it's off to the races. Because now I, remember, I know I, I can Sickler sell it out. Telling me, I remember Sickler telling me, we got this show we're
0: doing. Bill Burr, we did We just did one. Bill Burr was on it. You got to do it, man. You got to do it. And I was like, "Oh, that's right up my fucking alley. I love that idea."
1: You you came in when you did the JFL one. The first JFL experience was was cool, but it was like we 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 scheduled the show at like seven p.m. Yeah, it just like people really didn't know about it, and it's just it just never really took off in Montreal until a couple years later. But the one that you did at the Lyric was still one of my favorite shows because you did. Plush, yeah. right after Scott Weiland died, yeah. Um, you came in chaps and the American flag fucking underwear, yeah. And it was also the show where where Louis showed up. I just posted that picture today because it's my favorite picture of all time because Louis looks so uncomfortable, oh, yeah. Because you're you're putting your genitals like very very close to him in the picture, and you're yeah. just like at this huge cheese on your face, and he's just like yeah. Sarah was there. Sarah Silverman. It was. It was uh Joe
0: DeRosa. Joe
1: DeRosa, Matt Fultron, Sarah Silverman, uh, Louis CK and you. Yeah. And I remember yeah, I remember I was in my vlog then. Oh yeah, dude. You were that's the everything was with the camera, I was like going around everything
0: and editing it and oh, that was a good
1: You I, were was, ahead of everybody. You, you you were you were on vlogging before <laughs> vlogging was even a thing, dude. I'd be vlogging. <laughs> I would be vlogging. Uh, yeah, that was a great one.
0: That was a really great one. I remember Sickler telling me about it long before that, I guess. And then what was the maturation of, of it going to Comedy Central?
1: So so immediately Ryan introduced me to the Duffies after the first show. Because the first show just took off and there was already a little buzz about it. And so the second show, industry started showing up. I remember like Ryan Moran was there and like a bunch of like like a Charlie from South by and it was just packed. Uh, With industry and then Ryan hooked me up with the Duffies and the Duffies immediately Got the idea and were like we want to take this on and I was like, okay because because Ryan vouched for him and We sold it to CW literally immediately like I think we the deal signed for the production company in December by February We pitched a CW as like a throwaway. Yeah, and they bought it like in the room. They were like we love this idea this is great then uh, they held it hostage for six months and then it got up to the head guy, he dropped it and then we went to JFL again and that was actually not again. The first time we went to JFL, they loved it and so it just got really a lot of buzz there and then when we got back to LA, we pitched to Comedy Central, our second pitch and it was like Gary Mann and Jonas and Ryan and Jordy and, and they just, and immediately you could see like, like Gary just get really excited about it. It was also, I'm not going to lie, dude. I, when I'm excited about something, it's just like, I, I just, my love and my passion just comes out. And so like I took over in the fucking pitch and sold him. I mentioned you taking your shirt off. I mentioned like Ali Wong and just all these people that they loved. And then we got an offer two days later and then it was the hour special. Um, And then it was uh, to series. Like it was, it was great. It's, it was
0: it was, uh, it was the coolest. It was, it was also at a time when like produce shows or what was hot at the festivals. Oh yeah. It was like,
1: I remember you guys were like, you guys did almost every festival. We did do every festival. I mean, we did Bonnaroo and Bumbershoot and outside lands a few times. And then we've done Montreal consistently, uh, moon tower. We were there every year small ones it it was great man because it was great for me too as a comedian I didn't take advantage of it as a comic because I wasn't doing stand-up as much as I should have been like the jam came out of my frustration with stand-up comedy so I wasn't writing or or really even fighting for sets when I went there but it was like I'd go and do the jam and the jam took so much out of me from like from like pursuing any of that because it's just like we're rehearsing and then I'm dealing with the band and I'm doing this and setting it up and then shit's always going wrong and it was a lot. And so now it's like, I love it that we're, we might take it to a festival. I'm going as a comic as well. And then I'm just doing more sets. And now the show just runs itself. So yeah,
0: who is the, what comic surprised you the most?
1: Um, Owen Smith, Owen Smith did, uh, did BBD poison and he brought Vanessa graddick and Tiffany Haddish as background dancers. This is before Tiffany blue. Yeah. And, It was just, he couldn't sing, but he did all the verses and then I sang the backup, but it was just the whole organized, like he came out with like, what they had their own shirts on that they made and they had a dance worked out. And it was, it was just one of those like special moments of the show that just completely blew me away. I mean, there's like, dude, Mateo Lane. Yeah. There's, uh, Sean Patton doing Cypress Hill. Was was great. Sean Patton is such an amazing
0: performer. He's just the best. Like just like his material's amazing, but dude, the way he delivers his body on stage, the way he carries himself, fucking yeah. kills me.
1: Can I vape in here?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah! yeah. fuck yeah. yeah, dude. Am I the first dude to vape? I vape to escape. Everybody. No, someone, uh, someone else vaped. I forgot who. Someone was how we're here with like the what is that? Is that the jewel? This is not
1: the jewel. This is the cheaper version of the jewel because the jewel is too expensive really oh yeah dude Dude, one of the best vape places in the world is right down the street from here like i travel to buy vape. really i'm not proud of any of this either, so wait when did you start smoking uh i was born with a marble red uh in my mouth no my everybody in my family smoked and like so i started at like Thirteen? You're Baltimore, right? No, I'm Germantown, right outside of DC. I lied for a long time and said I was from Baltimore because I lived there for ten years and I thought it made me cooler. But yeah. I'm really from the suburbs of DC. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. You heard it. You heard it here first. What? Uh,
0: wait. When did you start partying though?
1: Thirteen. Really? I remember. I right, so. All right. So I. Well, we started drinking and stealing from my parents' liquor cabinet at a young age because yeah. my parents had the dope liquor cabinet. You know. Well, your parents do. Uh, My dad was an Orchid man and my mom was uh, an assistant principal secretary. So she was, wait, she was the assistant to the principal. So yeah. So secretary. And uh, my mom used to smoke and they, they never really partied whatsoever. And my sister basically was like the perfect student. And I was always into music and art and shit like that. And, and I really couldn't get attention unless I did bad shit. So I just like at like 13, I met, Tassos and Ben and and all these like grungy kids you know because I was always in a hair metal but then when grunge came I was like yeah "Yeah, this shit's this shit's me dude like I can I can do this and and then I found Scott Weiland and then it was off to the races and then I'm smoking cigarettes wearing flannels and fucking Doc Martens and uh and then I started smoking pot what year is this 91 no no this is 1994 Four, freshman year of high school 94 yeah. and then like towards the end of it going into i was so it's the end of ninth grade going into 10th grade is when i found pot i did lsd the first time and then it was just i started growing my hair long and and then that was it you know what's funny too is like I I've I always been obsessed with sports and like the the grunge kids could not accept that that yeah. I was like this huge Washington Bullets and Cat fan.
0: <clears throat> yeah, you are a big Bullets fan. Huge
1: man. They suck, but I'm I'll, I'll die with them. I'll die
0: with them. What was uh wait, well and so how did the party in like transpire?
1: Did you did it when did it get out of control? Very very quickly. Really? Yeah, but not like bad bad stuff. Just All right. So so all right so this is where this is <laughs> so when i was in 10th grade we yeah. would already been doing lsd a lot this is when my parents found out i'll tell you that and that's where i think it got a little out of control i i was with my friends and we uh decided to take three tabs of lsd each and
0: dude, I, there was always those type of people that could do go like "Oh, we're gonna we're
1: gonna take five tabs we're gonna take it to the next level i thought i was one of them yeah i thought i could handle it uh and we, at first everything was cool. And then, and then like, I started looking around the tent. We were in a tent in my friend's backyard, like 10 people in this one tent. My buddies philosophizing. And I started looking around the tent and all I see is swastikas everywhere. And I'm just like, you guys see that? The the Nazi symbols? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about, man. But back to why the earth is round and just, they're just going into it. And then I'm just like, I got to get out of here. And I get up and walk out of the tent and everybody starts following me. And then I start like freaking out. And then I ran Three miles from my buddy's house to my parents' house at full speed. Jesus. Just like, I mean, like Usain Bolt, Bert, like fucking running as fast as I can, taking my clothes off, get to my parents' house, uh, wake them up, banging oh, on the door Jesus. my mom answers the door i'm in my underwear this and i'm is holding after school special in the 80s yeah dude
0: <laughs> motherfucker my
1: mom answers the door like joshua why are you naked and i'm like move and i run through the house and i grab my cat and i'm like who sent you and then i'm like running upstairs and i get up to my parents bedroom and i get on the floor and start doing like the curly thing you know where you're just like Whoa! yeah 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 and and then I started, this is the craziest shit. As I looked around the room, everything, like my parents, uh, all the stuff in the apartment, not the apartment, the house was like getting younger. Like it like went like Benjamin Button style and started aging backwards. So yeah. all my memories started like coming out and my parents started getting younger and the television changed and, and everything. And then I reenacted my own childbirth in front of my sister, my mom and my dad remember like standing up like it's a baby blah, 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 and then fucking swirling around and then i fell asleep and my parents had no idea that i did anything before then oh yeah okay i was like and they then, knew you were on something then oh yeah i mean yeah. you can't hide that <laughs> i'm, I'm oh, naked. you got to keep them away from caffeine <laughs> yeah it's like uh and then i and then i woke up the next morning and my mom was like petting my head and she's like crying and she's like what happened and i was like i think Somebody drugged me with LSD, mom. Oh, that was the easiest way to get out of it. Easiest then. way. And and she was like, "Okay, well, come downstairs. We're having breakfast." And I went downstairs, and we never spoke of it again ever. Never talked about it. Whoa. Not until I actually headlined the Hollywood improv and my mom came to the show and like right in the middle of the set, I just stopped. And I was like, mom, do you remember the time I had a schizophrenic breakdown on LSD? She's like, oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> but that was it. That was like when, that was when my family knew. And then it kind of became, not would say like a problem, but I was like being watched. And cause they had never done drugs or anything like that. So Then I I started, after that happened, it just kind of made me want to experiment more because it really like opened my my brain up. So it was like a lot of psychedelics, mushrooms. And and then when I got to, I went to Europe for, for like seven months. I inherited money when I was 18 years old. I took half the money and gave it to my parents to buy our house back. And then um, it was like, how did you inherit money? So my great uncle died and he left me, my sister and all cousins, my own age, $40,000 each. He had been like hoarding money and started losing his mind. And it's actually kind of fucked up. His daughter, he only gave $10,000 to, to all of us. The rest of the money was to be split up because I don't think he realized how much money he had when he made that will. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, And so my parents were, we had really bad financial problems. Um, My dad had lost a bunch of jobs. So my, 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 parents had to sell their house to their friend because they were going to lose it and then rent it back to us. So I, me and my sister gave my parents $20,000 each. I took 20 grand. And first thing I did was spend like $3,000 on fleeces because I had never bought clothes before and fleece was really in. <laughs> and I was always cold, man. And then uh, fleeces. <laughs> fleeces were big, bro. Nautica, Timberland, uh, all that shit. And then, I, and then I went to Europe because my friend said, who was in the military, said if you go to Europe... You'll get laid. So I was like, I was like, all right, I'd only had sex one time prior. And we went, and that was the first time I did um, Molly or really Ecstasy back then. Yeah. And then I went to my first rave. And then I came back to America, started working at this Ruby Tuesdays like restaurant. Yeah. And everybody was like a huge raver. And so then that like got me into that scene. So that's where the party became like exacerbated. That's where I so- did. Ketamine, like cat tranquilizer, I used to sell that. Um, I used to. That's where I did coke for the first time, and there's a lot of ecstasy. So, what what did you do in Europe for seven months? Did you just travel? Just backpacked and drank. Where did Where did you go? Everywhere. We started in London. uh, Then we went. Go with uh, my friend Joel Aguilar. Joel was a pot dealer, and he he just was. He's always been that guy. That's like we're gonna go do this, and he's like, "Well, I want to go. You're going to China to visit somebody. I want to go with you." And I think we was I was the first trip to do that with, you know, where he really got into that. So he, him and I, we flew into London and then we stayed there a couple weeks and then we went to Paris and then Barcelona and then up to, I think like Vienna. And then it's like down through Italy, around through Austria. We went to Switzerland and then went to uh, Germany for a little bit. And then we stayed in Amsterdam for a month. Nice. It was great. I mean, it was like, it's one of those things where it's like, you're too young to appreciate it. And all we do is drink. That's yep. all we did was drink and try to get laid. I uh, I, I look back. I, one of the things I really wished I'd
0: done was getting a, gotten a job there, taking like a in year Europe? off. Yeah, taking a year off, gotten a job in Europe, and just been like, like this. I'm gonna bartend in Greece for a year. I, to have I would have loved it. It's one of the things I wish I'd done. I'm glad I didn't because I'm very happy with my life. And I I think I would. I'm not the kind of person that can put their life on pause. Like I can't just go like, you know what? I'm gonna take a year off. We were talking about this last night. Me and Ari. I have too much of a, not a work ethic, but an obsessiveness about work where I go, I I need to be moving forward in my life. I don't want to be stagnant.
1: Stagnation kills me. When I'm stagnant, I lose my fucking mind. You're just like me. You're just like me, dude. I didn't have any, I had one of the busiest Hollywood weeks I've ever had in my life uh, last week, but I didn't have shows at night and I never felt like more of a loser in my life. I can easily not do shows. Oh Oh, really? Oh my god,
0: (laughs) my um. Well, yeah, because I'm talking so much right now that it's like, like last night we were at the store and I did Ari's storytelling show, and then Joe was doing a set after. He's like, "You want to do a spot?" And I was like, "Nah, I've been talking too much." Yeah, I think you. I think you can talk too much as a comic, and it's what it happens is instead of having original conversations on stage you regurgitate things that you know work. I think it's the biggest downfall of a lot of comics I see is they get up too much and they're not writing new stuff. They're just saying the same shit they said yesterday and they're not growing. Yeah. And it's it's a part of the problem with me on this tour is I'm trying to work this hour out and uh and you got to repeat the hour and and I, so I there was like a, a two week stretch where I was almost repeating it verbatim not growing and then the other day i was like fuck that in tampa i was like i'm gonna get lost in the hour i'm gonna get fucked up like i'm gonna start it backwards i'm gonna start it with something else and how to rework it because then your brain's forced to think about your material on stage yeah and I, not like going wonder where we're going after this you know how much interesting new shit did you get out of it by doing that a lot uh more importantly i i I knew that I didn't have, because I was, I I started with this one story that I've had for a long time, but I never tell, but I told in Tampa. And then, by default, I had to shorten bits up because I knew that I was already over. So all of a sudden, I reworked a bit that hadn't been working, and I just tightened it. I took all 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 the fucking story out of it and just told you what happened, and it murdered. And I went, that's what it is. And then my wife saw my set and was like, Oh, I can tell you what you're missing, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" So now I'm going to New Orleans tomorrow, and I'll be fucking. I'll be. I can't wait. I just need now. Now I need to get my voice back. Is it this completely warped? It's right now. It's all it is is just soft. So like I can't. I, for me, when it's when you're pushing to talk and it's not just flowing, then it's too much thought process in it. I get it. That's why I didn't do a a show last night with Joe because I was like, I can't, I was doing Ari's show and I was struggling to talk. I did Vegas and I I literally was struggling to talk
1: and I thought my voice was going to go out in the middle of it. Do you ever do uh, like Decadron shots or Decadron and like prednisone? Like, so like when we were doing the jam, (coughs) one, I was still doing drugs. So I was like really hurting my vocal cords. But Dude, I did drugs. To be honest, all right, so the jam that we did, the first time you did the jam, not in JFL, but that December show, uh, I had gone to like a pain management doctor and and scored like 90 Oxy 30s. So while you guys were all on stage, I was going into the bathroom and like crushing them up and snorting them and then just like running out on stage like, yeah, just fucking yeah. just not feeling any pain. So I was damaging my vocal cords that way. Yeah. I was singing improperly and then I wasn't getting enough sleep, eating right or doing anything to take care of myself. I'm doing a lot of that, which is the most important thing mm-hmm. you need to, you need to take care of like your, you need to get enough sleep more than anything. Cause that's the only way they heal naturally that and not talking. Um, and then I think like two months after that, I had vocal cord surgery. I had uh, I had a nodule and a polyp on my cords but I was just losing my voice nonstop. And so I was surviving on like anti-inflammatory steroids, which can actually hurt it even more if you do it a lot. But like in a pinch, if you're like, if you're in Vegas and there's 5,000 people waiting for you to go on and you your voice is, is just really fucked up in the morning, just like have them give you a decadron shot and you'll be able to get through it. Really? It literally takes all the inflammation away. But you, but what's, but the thing is, it's it's just putting a band-aid <laughs> on like a much bigger problem and it can make it worse over time. Mm-hmm. But that's what I was doing until I had the surgery and then I had the surgery and, and that saved everything. Yeah. The, um, I've
0: always, I've always, I stopped smoking cigars and, uh, that was a big help. Yeah. This is the first time I've been on the road for almost two months straight. And this is the first time I've had voice problems. You know what it was for me is I invited everyone to go to a bar uh, and we went to a bar and I ended up talking a lot and at the bar.
1: That's where because everybody wants to be around you because you're so much fucking fun. Like and then they want they want you drunk. They want you to be the fucking party. man. That's the bad thing about being like the life of the party is like dude, you're (laughs) fucked, dude. It's too bad. I like it. That's what well, it's fun, man. Yeah. I mean, when when I used to drink, it was the greatest thing ever. I mean, it, it's like when you can like it just gets you out of your shell. But you don't really you're already out of the shell. I don't. I'm alcohol out of my just shell. yeah, alcohol just makes you just like even it just takes you to that other level. Dude, one of I have
0: f- I have issues with alcohol, just like everyone else. Like my issue is, I watched Joe last night have a beer, have a shot, smoke a joint, have another beer, and get on stage. I cannot do that what do you I, mean i can't do it i can't i can't
1: just do that little or you need
0: no 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 I, I can't do any of it i don't enjoy it it makes me dizzy like if i had no if i know i have something going on yeah like ari poured me a drink before i went on stage <clears throat> last night i was like i can't drink that i can't now i can't drink at all before i go on stage really i at didn't
1: know all, that not one bit i really thought that you would do you were just like you know the more loose you are the more like
0: no I, loose if you i are. If I get drunk on stage, it, you can hear it in my voice. I sound like a hippie, and and uh, and I and I get lo- I get
1: I meander. I get very gluttonous. You say me. You say like man a lot, and start talking about Arlo Guthrie. I start going like,
0: <laughs> bro, like you know, like I just it's you can feel it in my act. It's fucking really bad. Yeah, I, I think it's bad. I mean, I, there's times like in um, there's times I will drink on stage where I'll, dr- I'll but I cannot get on stage drunk. I can't go on stage with being buzzed at all because i'm it i've done it and it just never turns out right it is not a good way to start off a show and (laughs) Berg comes up to me one time he goes yeah it's just like drinking you're not as quick or drinking and driving you're not as fucking quick yeah he goes that's why they don't let you drink and drive asshole
1: (laughs) but yeah, i I interrupted you you were gonna say uh what were we talking about um the jam or are we talking about what i forget what we were talking Fuck. about I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in i'm just i'm present dude i'm yeah. with you i'm taking wherever <laughs> this ride
0: goes so wait when did you when was the when did you quit quit
1: i quit well all right i quit everything uh, Mar- uh may 16th 2016 that was i smoke pot still so i shouldn't say that yeah, because yeah. i use that for for uh relaxation at night and i actually use it for like the medicinal properties of it yeah. because it fucking works um but I was like right before, so right before <clears throat> when we sold the show, I was super depressed. I couldn't like take the, uh, the fact that I was successful because I just was like not, I never loved myself. I just lived in the past. I felt guilty about losing Angelo, just all this shit. So as the jam got bigger, my opiate use just became so fucking blown out of proportion. And I only felt like I was good on stage was when I was high. So I was just getting loaded every show. And then um, I did this week in Washington, D.C. where uh, I ran into an old friend and he had given me heroin. And he just said it was this pure opium. And so I did it there, went on stage, had a great set, came back to L.A. and just went to downtown LA and bought fucking dope like the whole week. And this is like right before we're about to shoot the jam. So we're shooting the jam in June. The Comedy Central? The Comedy Central hour special. And I remember saying to the dealer, I was like, yeah, man, so I'm going to need, you know, you come meet me like blah, blah, blah before shooting. Do you want to come to the show? This like 70 year old black dude that like was like kind of like my conduit to getting the drugs in downtown. I'd call him, he'd get it. And then like I hit this, this moment where I just was running so low on money. So I was like, well, I have to detox. I got, I can't, or I'm going to be homeless and not have money to eat. And I remember I got clean for two days and then I went to the comedy store and, um, I run into Tripoli <clears throat> and Tripoli sees me and I'm pale. And like my, just, there's a, that, that look of like somebody that's been on it. Yeah. He goes, you relapsed again. And I was like, yeah, I did. And he goes, when, when are you going to be done with this shit, Josh? And I was like, Pff. I'll probably end up dying, you know, and, and then that'll be it. And you know, I have a bunch of success and I'll just die. And he goes, or you'll be that 50 year old comic that almost had a TV show and then they ruined it and they're still hanging out here and I just looked around and I saw that guy and yeah, I was like far. and I was like that's <laughs> it dude that guy's all over the store he's everywhere dude yeah. he's everywhere he's, he's, he's on the ding dong show like and I just said I don't want that and then that was it and then I I just went to uh, you know went I, I went to AA uh, for a little bit the program's great but then I, st- I got even more depressed and then when I started getting more success and then I was like I didn't know what to do because I wasn't I didn't want to go back and do drugs uh AA really wasn't working and I still hadn't handled myself and then I I started like meditating and going I to this spirit it's so the greatest bad. thing I have ever done like I I always do so we we shot the TV show yeah and yeah. uh most people would be so excited and be ready to like go out and attack the world. I've got all this momentum. Let's go out and do spots. And dude, the second we wrapped that show, I isolated for four months and didn't leave my apartment. Really? Like I just got a dog. I was dating this girl that was also depressed. So we were just in my apartment ordering Postmates and we didn't do anything. And eventually well, because there was also like it was a lot of factors man it wasn't just dealing with my old self like i wasn't proud of the way the show turned out i am now but just yeah. the fact that they cut me out of a lot of it There I, was a I, lot that, of the
0: one thing i i was gonna bite my tongue on saying on this podcast but i did but i but i won't was i didn't like the way that you were treated in that production
1: yeah it i can look at it now and say how proud i am i'm of it the fact that like you know, I did something that 99% of the people in this town want to do, but can't. Yeah. And it opened up so many doors for me, but just, it was just like the show that I created. Wasn't the show that was put on air. We did tape it like that. Like I went out and I did all the shit and that was that experience. Having that is more important than, than anything. The fact that I at least got to do that. But, uh, the the biggest problem with that
0: show is it didn't have a host and it needed that. Yeah. It It needed, needed one singular, uh, boat to keep coming back to and that's why the show was successful when we did it yeah is you'd get up sing the first song and then fuck around tell jokes in between bring us up
1: be a buffer in between acts yeah it wasn't that it didn't have it now and and you know what i can look at it now and be extremely proud of it like i am it was a very, great fucking show it, it was great and and i understand what comedy central wanted to do um I would have preferred if they just would have given it to another host because then I think the show would have run for years you have that person that can go out and promote and really like you know care about it and just be the face of it at least uh because it just didn't there was no promotions when you're having like Mateo Lane go on Seth Meyers to talk and he's mentioning it he doesn't have that real connection to it that Mm -hmm. whatever you need so I isolate for a long time and then it was like almost a year to when we shot the the series, I I was dating this girl and she took me to this, this spiritual guide because I was like, I opened up to her and it was a new girl. And I started getting back into stand up and finding this love for wanting to be around people again. And I go to this, she takes me to the spiritual guide slash clairvoyant. And he's, she's like, I want you to keep an open mind, you know, but this guy will help. And I I meet this guy in Ojai and this dude looks like, you know, like a a hippie version of John Goodman from Big Lebowski, like has on the exact same kind of outfit. He's overweight. And he's like, so he's like, I've been, I studied in India for 40 years under this Maharishi and worked with this guru and this person. And he goes, what I do is I read energy and we're going to do a series of meditations. And, uh, and I just want you to keep an open mind and we do two meditations and it's just literally pulling a picture up. And he's like also saying how he's going to be clearing the energy. And he's like, you're running at 6%. Um, when you're supposed to be running at a hundred. So I'm going to clear as much of that waste, all that shit that's blocking you, those filters, the ego, all that stuff. And we do two meditations and I don't really feel anything. Um, and then on the third meditation, I have this full on out of body experience like completely. Like if, have you ever seen the movie The Fountain? The one with uh Hugh Jackman. No, but that, that's the one based off the Fountainhead, right? I don't know. I don't it's, know. it's the no. one that takes place over like three generations. It's about it's about Hugh Jackman and his Definitely girlfriend. Not based She's on the dude, it's <laughs> so it is so good though. It's like Darren Aronofsky, film, the guy that did Pi that did Requiem yep. for a Dream. And there's a scene in it where like Hugh Jackman like is like, I don't know what's happening, but he's just like, like light is coming through his mouth out of his ass, and he's just like, oh, floating in this deep meditation or whatever the fuck it is, and that's the way I felt. And then we finish, and he's like, I cleared all this energy from you. He's like, so what's gonna happen now is you're gonna feel good for a few weeks, but it's gonna come back, because the outside world is gonna put all that baggage on you. And because of that, that took me through this journey of like, I need to work on myself, because I want to... I, I, if I know that I can feel that good yeah through without using drugs like I want to try to get to that and then i I went to the spiritual guide another guy and I've been working with him for about a year and then I went back to therapy and and then I just focused my attention on shit that I really care about again like stand up I actually really care about I respect my material now I love getting up on stage again uh and just being me and and leaning into that and not trying to do what the industry wants me to do uh and and then i i got i created the 500 and that to me is like my favorite it's it's the best thing you've done so far it is my dude it's fucking
0: brilliant thank you brother it's brilliant it's brilliant Uh, it's a it's it is uh when i discovered it I had that panicked, rushed feeling of like, of like, how, how do I get more of it? Uh, yeah. How how do I get on it? How do I? Who do I? Ta- <laughs> who do I? I want to text someone and talk to them about it. Like, it's fucking brilliant, man. I want to talk to you about that in a second. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we should talk about it now while people are still listening. You don't want to save it till the end. <laughs> yeah, dude. but wait, what? Uh, so, the podcast is you go through the 500 greatest albums. Yeah,
1: it's Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. The dude. most depressing part is when you go, When we get to number one, I, I should be
0: 50. And I'm like,
1: Fuck. <laughs> yeah, you might need to double up. You might need to do two. I, I, a week. I need, but that's the thing. Everybody says that. And I need time to absorb the record, bro. I need to listen. I listen to the album like fuck 20, it. 30 you gotta times. Fucking- you
0: fucking listen to it on double time I,
1: that's why but no but that's i think that's why it's funny too is that it's gonna take so long and it's like because also i think the audience they they love the podcast but they also really i think want to absorb the record as well mm-hmm. and also there's night there's like a million other podcasts that they're listening to so i want to give them the full time to at least get one listen of outcast equemini i or steve or outcast, Aquem, and i was such a
0: great fucking
1: one thank you buddy As,
0: because that's one of my that's one of my favorite albums ever but there was part that was with Byron right yep that was there's parts of that that I didn't know what I was listening to or what I was hearing that hearing him explain it by the way there should be a you should do a side podcast with Byron where you guys go through and explain rap lyrics <laughs> because I fucking was like <laughs> I was
1: like that's what he's been saying yeah, that's what, like it, that was a fucking great one. Thanks, man. That was, that was, you know what's funny about Byron's episode is so I had the idea, and I was, first of all, I was doing another podcast and it just completely different about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I was just practicing getting used to being a host. And then I went through this like, complete existential breakthrough where I was just like all I want to do is feel something I want to experience something I just want to be moved daily and so then I saw that list and I was like I'm gonna go through every album one day I'm gonna spend one day on each record and I'm gonna post about it and I'm going through 500 albums over 500 days and then uh, on the third day Jim Jeffries reached out to me and he's like the Stone Roses records means so much to me the stories I have and then it like hit me like an epiphany, like that's the fucking podcast I've been waiting to do, man. Genius. And so I taped with Byron immediately, and then I went and taped eight more and then I realized the show had changed so much that I want that pilot episode to be what really what it is now after the after I figured it out that yeah. I think it wasn't just a conversation. It needs to be focused and find these questions out. And so I went back and re-recorded the pilot with Byron. Really? And and so we did that one twice. I'm looking on the but list. Still, but we still got all the shit out that was good from the first one. Because Byron's like one of my best friends. You know, we yeah. lived together for two years and and uh it was just fantastic man and byron is like was the perfect person to do that episode because he was living in atlanta when all that shit was going down
0: yeah he was uh hold on one second i'm gonna i want to so everyone can find your podcast it's called the 500 with josh adam myers mid-roll reads mid-roll reads what are they these are mid-roll reads This podcast is brought to you by Calm. I absolutely love Calm. I have copy I'm supposed to read, but I'm going to tell you about it. Calm is an app you can get on your phone and you can meditate with it. You can do a 10-minute meditation. I do one every single day. I've been doing them before I go on stage, and they really bring your energy to a standstill and ground you and it is a game changer. I was introduced to Calm by my daughters who use it as a, as a sleep aid. They have guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, focus, including a brand new meditation every day. That's the one I use. My daughter used sleep stories which are bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax. Head into a lab, magical lavender field in the south of France Stephen Fry with Stephen Fry or explore the moonlit jungles in Africa. I'm telling you, I use this every fucking day. It is a fantastic app. Meditate. Everyone talks about how great meditation is. I don't have the time to go to TM, but I do have the time to get this app and put it on my phone right now. Burtcast listeners will get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. That's what I have at calm.com slash Burt. That's C-A-L-M.com slash Burt. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content. You want it. Trust me, you don't know. If you don't think you need it, you need it. I need it. I could not get through the day without this app. It is fantastic. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Burt. Get calm. Stop stressing. This podcast is also brought to you by Brooklyn. And look, you're going to spend a third of your life in the sheets. You might as well upgrade your bedding. Great sheets is a game changer. I spent the night in the most amazing, I still remember this night. The most amazing sheets of my life in a socialite's bed. She was not there. I was crashing in her bed, and she had the most expensive sheets. And I remember rolling around them in the morning by myself. I will never forget that night. Treat yourself to that. Brooklinen is founded by husband and wife Vicky and Rich. Their mission was to make five-star luxury hotel sheets affordable for people like us without the luxury market, which in some cases can be about 300%. It is the fastest growing betting brand in the world with over 35,000 five-star reviews. Those are legit, you can't pay for those. These sheets feel great, but they look great too. They have tons of different, we got a blue set Ooh. today and Leanne lost her mind and was like-
1: They're so pretty. I, know,
0: I wish I had gotten more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I wrote 100 jokes about sheets because they were <laughs> sitting on our floor. My Brooklinen sheets, Are the best. We are putting them on tonight. I will be getting in bed with them tonight. We just got them last night and that we opened them in the middle of the night. I'm telling you, I can't wait to get in them. Brooklinen is giving an exclusive offer to my listeners. Get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use the promo code BERTCAST at Brooklinen.com. Brooklyn is so confident you're gonna love their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get that 10% off your first order and free shipping is to use the promo code BERTCAST at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. And the promo code is BERTCAST. brooklinen. These really are the best sheets ever. This podcast is also brought to you by ShipStation. Leanne, what's ShipStation?
1: ShipStation is is a a website that allows you to ship things, um, especially if you have a store, like on your website.
0: When you're selling things online, it can be time-consuming, expensive, and so many carriers to choose from. How do you know who to make the best joints come? That's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation.com is the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage your shipping orders. Do we use ShipStation?
1: We use ShipStation, yes. It is uh, synced with our Squarespace. Squarespace website merchandise store. So it it imports and exports information between the two accounts and makes shipping super easy.
0: No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all the orders into one simple interface, making them super easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. They work with all the major carriers, UPS, USPS, FedEx, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose. This is... You are using the same stuff that the Fortune 500 people use to ship their stuff. You're getting the same deals they get. That's what I love about this this product.
1: And it's all in one place.
0: And it's the number one choice of online sellers. You ship anywhere with less time and the best rates available. Right now, Burtcast listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the promo code Burt. There's absolutely no risk. You start your free trial without entering your credit card info. What? Without entering your credit card info, just go to ShipStation.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bert. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter the promo code Burt. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. If you just put 500 Josh in, let's see what comes up. I can't find it on my fucking thing. Oh, I got it. Never mind. It's, 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 it's in my podcasts. So you've got... You just
1: did Pearl Jam. Vitalogy. With Joe List. Who's seen the band 40 times. This is how, dude, let me tell you something. This is how how dope, like, I I know I'm doing on this podcast. Because Joe List told um, one of his buddies, who then I talked to later, said... Joe was was so arrogant not arrogant but he was cocky because he knows so much and he goes I never felt more stupid because Josh kept bringing up not only the shit that I knew but taking it even further dude I have two researchers that I talk to daily like yeah. I'm literally spending 10 hours on each record this is like great. I've got to do D'Angelo Voodoo right now because I'm doing that with Michael Rappaport and I'm like trying to figure out how to break that down and compare it to his life and find out all these questions it's especially Fucking hard brilliant. when there's when the lyrics to d'angelo voodoo was all just like uh, yeah i feel like making love yeah. that's every song and i'm like all right how can i find out about mike from that but it's great wanda man. sykes earth wind and fire that was great uh big J R. Okerson, she's with cindy she's so unusual by cindy Lauper. he chose that that was really? like that's a record that means so much to him dude kiss destroyer with jeff ross makes total sense that was he he made me a fan of kiss yeah he's a he's like
0: a legit fan of kiss legit um zz tops with chris porter
1: albert king with sinbad that one that we taped that i for a month we were going back and forth he was supposed to do it then he got snowed in in north carolina and then he got sick and then it's like literally that came out january 2nd i finished taping that show at 9 p.m on january 1st because i waited for him
0: Wilco, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot with the Sklar Brothers. Let's talk about Wilco for a sure. second. That album changed the way I listen to music. How so? Um, I was I was a big hip hop guy at the time. I've always been a big hip hop guy, but I but I was in a band, and you know, and I and I r- appreciate music, but I I wasn't listening to anything thoughtful or or thought provoking okay. at the time, and someone told me, oh, this band Wilco, they self-released their album, they had bought it from, they bought it back from the studio and then put it online and then it blew up and there's this documentary, Am I Trying to Break Your Heart? Or yeah. I think I think is the name of the documentary. That's it. So I bought the documentary and I watched it and then, because I was into documentaries and then I drove home from Sacramento and I listened to the, it was when I was working at Laughs Unlimited and I was listening to it walking to the club and uh i think ashes of american flag was like i was like hey i don't need music to like pump me up i can have music that kind of just sings a song to me while i walk yeah like i i can have music that just goes let's slow down things today let's let's go into this old record store let's listen to music and be on our own music video and i went holy fuck like cuz i and for that Everything about music was to get my heart racing and get me like, like. <laughs> it tri- I was at the time I was also. Who let the
1: dogs out? Who? <laughs> I ran into the like... guy. That,
0: I ran into the guy that bought the rights to that. Do you ever hear that story? No, I didn't. I was, this guy was at my show in somewhere in fucking North Carolina. He was at a he was at a, a resort and there was a band playing. Who let the dogs out? The guys who wrote it.
1: Yeah, and the Baja man.
0: Out, and no, no, it wasn't the, no, it was not the Baja man. It was another group of just black dudes at a fucking retreat. And he went, Is, did you guys write that song? And they there like, we did. And he was like, I'll buy it from you for me for $5,000. And they were like, done. So he bought it for $5,000, took it to the States, had it re-recorded with the Baja Men, and made gazillions. Gazillions, dude. Gazillions. I re- dude,
1: I remember when I used to DJ like middle school dances and that song came out. That was a rap, dude. i drop Who Let the Dogs dude. Out, and then the crowd went bananas. Trick Daddy was my was take it to the house
0: dude
1: Dude. Uh uh-huh
0: trick (laughs) daddy (laughs) i I mean i only listen to music that like scarface the fix that was like i the way i was taking a music was like get in your car put your sunglasses on sit back chair lean back always like lean back like almost you could barely see over the hood or or it's like it's like oh yeah like and then that Wilco album changed, and I listened to it over and over. I didn't uh, the, on the whole ride home that night. I drove back from Sacramento, and I just listened to it over and over. And I was like, "Whoa!" And then I became obsessed with Jeff Jeff Tweedy. I and then I rewatched that documentary. Then I then I bought all the back
1: ones like uh, Being like There, AM a- a- Radio, yeah, the uh, Being um, There, the, whatever the other one I'm forgetting is Summer Teeth some of your summer teeth yeah, and then and then anything they came out with
0: I mean to this day if I am going to go snowboarding or ride a motorcycle I listen to Wilco Wilco that song uh, Wilco will be there for you baby whatever the fuck I listen to that Wilco Wilco song that is my anthem of like being in the moment yeah. But, but I was I'm so excited to listen To the Skalar
1: brothers It's dude You know what That's That is where I really saw What the podcast Is going to be Because It's extremely funny Because it's It's them And yeah, me And yeah. we have such a good rapport But they were so Honest You know, and that's the thing about the podcast is that it's like, it is funny, but like it's, I don't, I can't say it's comedy. I can't say it's music. I can't say it's drama. It is just, it's just good. It is just good. It's just good. It
0: doesn't need to be. uh, When I listened to Ryan uh, Sickler, the pilot one. Yeah. And I was like, I've always wanted to get into, who did he do? BB King King, live at Cook County Jail. I was like, I've always wanted to be into BB King. And then you guys breaking down why you should be into BB King. Like, what what you should be listening for to get yourself into BB King. Yeah. I was like, this is what I've wanted. Like, I, was, I, I can't fucking, I can't tell you how great the podcast is. It's just fucking perfect. Thanks, man. I was jealous that we didn't have it over at All Things Comedy. And I, like, immediately I was like, why didn't, why didn't, how come we didn't talk to Josh about this?
1: How come we didn't get What what what, what with, with that cuz I lo- cuz Bill's one of my closest friends yeah. and and it's like I'm I met with a whole bunch of people but I think what I decided is after I cuz I gave up the rights to the goddamn comedy jam too quickly and I'm not nothing against any of them. Yeah. I just was like I want to see what I can do solo right now and then see how far i it's can take it move. and and it's right now we're you know we're we're really we're just crossed 10,000 downloads an episode uh some episodes are getting like 30,000 like burr be getting and way more it will it's just people don't know about it yeah, so i'm just trying that, to figure oh, yeah. out for a way to get to get the word out it's like dude i care about this thing more than anything i've ever done like it's, it's dude the goddamn comedy
0: jam as a first project out there as a first thing of like this is a produced show. This is my first TV show. Is one hell of a thing to follow. This is better. It's more you. Get way to. more you. Way more um. I mean, look, the God damn tell Tommy Jim was so fucking entertaining. But this is is just it's a different level. It's a different type of thoughtfulness. It's it's it is it is arguably it is the Marin that we hear on WTF, where you see all his all the things that make him complex and interesting. Yeah. And the things that Once you figure out this is, people do dig this about me, I can take this on stage and I can be a bigger performer. I would argue Merrin became a much better comedian after he started WTF. Sure. And I think you're, I think the same about you. You will blossom having done this podcast, you will blossom. And these things that you've learned, they'll become the subtle references in your act that people fall in love with. I'm thinking it's, I mean, it's, you won't, you're still very young in the business, but when I go, it's the best thing you've ever done. I haven't done anything that good. Oh, come on. I know I'm being dead serious. I've had a bunch of shit travel channel shows.
1: <laughs> They're so good though My, dude.
0: my last special is pretty fucking good, but it's not like a body of work that's gonna be entertaining people until their kids go to college.
1: I love you. I lo- <laughs> you know why? it's and I think it's 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 why a lot of us are successful because, you know, like you when you love to do something, yeah, and you don't give a shit how people perceive it, you're just like, I love this. This is me. I want to put it out there and and you put love behind it it's in passion it's like people feel that and that's what i'm noticing people are saying back to me it's like you know other people could have done this but i don't think anybody would love it and and put more passion behind it than josh the
0: only the only the only reason i'm a good uh stand up is that i i'm not by the way i'm not even that good but i'm so passionate about stand up that the amount of time I think about it Ooh. is going to overwhelm the guy that's more talented than me that doesn't care about it. Yeah. Like I just love stand-up. I could sit we were telling sit we were sitting at the back bar last night, me, Darosa, Ari and Rogan, and we're telling fucking Robert Schimmel jokes. So I just I love stand-up. I I could talk about stand-up I every fucking waking minute. We went on that ski trip to Utah, that me, so and, fun, and Ari and all those guys. Patton and Normand and uh and and um and Ryan O'Neill, all we did was talk about stand up over we were on a beautiful mountain <laughs> and we stopped skiing to go have a beer and bullshit about stand up yeah we were sitting on a mountain just drinking and talking about stand up and then at one point we're like you guys just want to go ski down to the bar and just talk about stand up We're like yeah. <laughs> yeah and we just skied down to the bar and talked about stand up i could sit with people who love stand up yeah for the rest of my
1: life i don't i don't that's all I need in life is stand up. I it's, love it's, it. It really is. You know what? Like, because I, when I first started, I I had the group, and that's the best. Your, thing. Who is
0: your group? My Who's group: you,
1: Brian, Angelo. No, so it's me, Angelo Brian. Bowers, Gerard Carmichael, Byron Bowers, uh, John Shefsky, and Rel Battle, and then like assorted others like Johnny Scordis and Nate Hurd, and you know, and then you had the comedy store people like Jade, Tony, and Benji. But that was basically our class. Matt Edgar. And that was the most exciting time of my life because we had all started. We uh, are all like nobody's getting anything. So we're just helping each other out. And so, Oh my God, Gerard got a show. Angelo got a show. It's like, we're going to go and support and we're all broke and I'm homeless and I'm just trying everything just to, just to, you know, survive in this town and then we all started getting success and and then you 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 start getting like at least I did I got very jaded cuz it's like you know you have Gerard getting just taken right to the to like the top of the hill and, and Gerard's a fucking unicorn he is he is i mean it's he's he's very special i get it he when he touches you he releases oxytocin and people love him and and i love him so so Gerard goes his way and Angelo goes his way and then we all start separating and then it's like i Really start, I was still enjoying it, but I think I was frustrated. Uh, And then I started getting success and then I got really frustrated because Hollywood was like, they just don't know what to do with you. They're like, I remember at New Faces, everybody's like, everybody's like, dude, you're funny, but I mean, we don't know what to do with you. Like, where do we put you? You sing, you do this, you're kind of edgy. And then I fell out of love with it and I'm, then I'm just doing the same material and I wasn't writing and I was just, and I was the shit I was writing was not me. It was like what I thought Hollywood would want me to be cleaner. I started cutting my hair and, and trying to like focus my set on everyday shit. And then I do the jam. And then when the jam was basically reached its peak, I went and did this show in San Diego, man. And it was just some bar show. I didn't want to do it. I was supposed to go down with Sickler. And uh, Sickler had to cancel because I think his daughter was sick. And so then the headline or the the booker was like, can you headline? And I was so mad. And I drove down there. And I went on stage and I didn't do any of my old material. I just was like being in the moment started with crowd work and then just had the greatest time ever. And from that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, this is why I love it because it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then I, but I just, and then I just, I dude, I had to go back and start doing open mics again because I had no shows. And then within like two weeks, my calendar was full, but I was only doing material that was me. And now I'm I'm loving it just as much as I loved it when I first started because it's just, when I go on stage, it's Josh. It's yeah. exactly who I am. I'm not holding any punches back. I am being me 100%. And if the audience doesn't like me, there's nothing I can do about it because I'm being true to myself. Yeah and that is now right now i'm having the like more fun doing stand up like when we do the jam now where I used to do a song and then fuck around in the song for like 10 minutes as my set. Yeah. Now it's like, let's do the song. I might bring the song down for like a minute to explain the show, have tell the audience to get behind it. And then I go on stage after that and I do 20 minutes of material. And that's where I'm having fun. Yeah. And now it's also cool too because when we do the jam, we brought stand up back into the jam where it's not like just let's tell a story, do a song. It's like do your set. Then tell your story, yeah. and then fucking do the <clears throat> and do the the fucking music. That was and, one of the funner ones I did when we did
0: the Roxy. We all did like 10, 15 minutes. Oh yeah, dude, and that's and the I way was, it should be. I was there. I was. I think I had Adidas track pants on, and I just because I, I had the sock cock on. But that was one of the
1: funner sets I had in Hollywood. One of my favorite moments from that night was it was you, me, Johnny Scordis, and Jeremiah and the band trying to put our cock socks on. Yep. In the green room, and as and not only that, but like in that green room where we are standing, there is a picture of Bob Marley and John Lennon standing in the exact same spot. And if you looked over at that picture and look at you, you're fucking. They're having this deep conversation, and you're trying to tuck your balls into a sock. You brought so many socks. I brought so many
0: different types of socks (laughs) because I was like, I couldn't find the one that my dick fit in, and it stayed. So so like, I brought I brought a top stick, which is like. I brought everything. I brought rubber bands. And then at one point I'm getting ready to go on stage and Bill's at the top of the stairs and I'm at the bottom with a sock on my dick and I see him just taking pictures of me. And he goes, I never thought we'd be here, Bert. (laughs) Well,
1: that was another thing is that he, we're putting our cock socks on and Bill's sitting on the couch and he goes, you know how ridiculous you guys look? But then you look at Bill and Bill is dressed as John Bonham with a fucking wig on and fucking, it's like, all right, dude. You, you look just as ridiculous bro it's that's still like the cock socks moment is one of my favorite moments in my entire life because I, I just the idea of being naked in front of like 450 people oh my wife's friends were there and they were like
0: jesus that's very brave of him and my wife's like <laughs> brave of him i'm the one married to him sitting in the audience <laughs> Wait, tell me about uh, Angelo because I, I never really knew Angelo, and I all I know is that you guys lost him, and it was like a defining moment for like everyone that lost him. But yeah. I don't, I knew I, I don't think I knew him at all.
1: A lot of people didn't because you know he was only in the scene for four years, and then the accident happened, and then he's gone. But um, where's he from? From Modesto. So I, I meet Angelo. Uh, one of my first open mics I'm doing in Los Angeles. I'm at the Hollywood Improv. I'm out in the hallway and I'm talking to Rel Battle and Akash Singh. Rel Battle was I don't know Rel Battle either. I don't think you. I think you know. He was on the show Superior Donuts. He's uh, really funny. dude. Hysterical comic. Was um, he a part of uh, Roast Battle? He was a part beginning? of Roast Battle. Yeah, yeah. At yeah the okay, I know who he is. So. So I'm outside talking to Rel, because he's from DC, and Akash runs up to, to Rel and oh, goes- Oh, Rel Battle, yeah. Yeah, he, Akash runs up to Rel and goes, dude, you gotta get in there, that, that kid Angelo's up. And we walk in there, and Angelo, it's just the open mic, but Reed is in there, it's a packed house, uh, and Angelo's up and just rips. I mean, with the most brilliant material I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. Like, yeah. I'm like crying laughing. And then after that, uh, I go to another open mic and Ange uh, is there as well and I get off stage. I'm not very funny at the time at all but I get one joke that la- that gets a laugh and I get off stage and Ange walks up to me and he's like, dude, that was hysterical and I was like, dude, you're hysterical and, and he's like, nah man, I enjoyed your shit. That was the kind of person he was is that like, Ange was funnier than all of us yeah. but he would always spin it. If you complimented him, he would just boom, just throw it right back to you but mean it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and right. So immediately we became best friends and it was like I said, our group and I had never connected with another person the way I connected with him. You know, it's like, I, I just, I've never met anybody that I got along with that made me laugh. And so when you had that person that, that made you feel so good, like, and built you up when when you're trying just to be funny for the first time. Ange was the guy that literally kept me in stand up because I would have quit because yeah. it took forever for me to really get consistent. And you know what that's like? You have a great set and then you eat shit and you're like, "What is wrong with me?" But yeah. Ange was always there and Ange was always killing. And so because of that place the Unknown Theater that I mentioned earlier, uh Ange became a very special person there. He would close out every night and so, you know, Chris Porter was there and would see him and Brett Ernst would see him and then Sam Tripoli and and Burr and they all wanted to help him. There was a night uh, at Sarah Silverman's birthday party and they were doing a roast of Sarah, not Sarah Silverman, Sarah Tiana's birthday party. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) that's a different story. Way different story. It was Sarah Tiana's (sighs) birthday, but but Silverman comes up later though, but Tiana has this roast and uh, Jim Gaffigan goes up and annihilates, right? And then Ange goes up. No one remembered that Jimmy had even gone up because Ange murdered that hard. Really? Just doing his jokes and then shitting on Sarah. And it was just brilliant. And it was just set up punch, but it was so well written. And Ange was the kind of guy that would spend all day long. He literally was homeless so he could write jokes all day long. He started writing for other comics that had to do like Chelsea. He was writing for a lot of comics that we know uh, tagging them when they were doing roasts, he never had social media, was against it completely, and uh, people couldn't believe that because he would have killed Twitter. So he starts getting bigger, and and you know he's probably going to get past at the store. And at this point, everybody loves him, and everybody just loves how great of a comic and person he is because he was all like people always said they never hugged at the comedy store until Ange came around because yeah. he'd give you this big bear hug. And so, uh, Ange then, um, gets, uh, does this show. And this is actually a real, a weird turning point in, in what the story is, where Ange does performance anxiety, and, which is a show at like a, uh, at like a sex shop. And somebody's running late, Sarah Silverman's running late, and she, uh, they're like, okay, put Angelo up until she gets here. And Ange goes up and just annihilates. And then Sarah Silverman sees him. And then as she's getting going on stage and Ange is coming off, she says, wait here. I want to talk to you. And then she like, literally is like, here's my number. I want you to call me. I want, like I want to work with you. I think you're one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. The next day, Ange was at my house and he spent the night and, uh, I wake up in the morning and he's gone. And it's like early too. Cause I was going to the gym at like seven and I, and I call Ange. he won't get back to me. And then around midday, I'm at work and he calls me and he's like, man, I I was having these weird heart palpitations. So I had to go to the hospital and he's like, I'm like how'd you get there, dude? And he's like, well, I walked. And I was like, you, why didn't you wake me up? He goes, oh, I didn't want to bother you. I just, yeah. you guys were asleep. That's how like special of a guy. He's like, oh, well, Josh is sleeping. Brittany's sleeping. And so Ange then got diagnosed with cancer. What? And yeah, he had, they found a tumor in his chest and that was making his have this regular heartbeat. And so really? he had gone to, he had gone back to Modesto to get it all taken care of. And I called him every day, but during the whole fucking time, man, he was like sending me text messages. like, uh, just like the funniest shit about having cancer. Like he's like, yeah. the doctor says it's cancer and I don't have representation. Like he would just like make these like really like ridiculous things like to, to just deal with it. And then he got back into town uh, in December, or it was January really, where he got a clean bill of health, and then Ange and I were uh, going to, I met Angelo uh, after i just gotten back into town. My girlfriend had just broken up with me. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I had Ange. And then um, me and him went to go get food, and then a drunk driver ran a red light and hit the car and killed Ange, and, and then I was in the hospital for two weeks. Where Where were you what 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 intersection you know where the Capitol Records building is <clears throat> yeah. right there, dude, corner of uh, vine and yucca dude, that's the most frustrating thing in the world to
0: hear is that a drunk driver that you can be doing everything right,
1: and a drunk driver will just end your life yeah it's it's did you guys get hit on the side so we got yeah, we got hit on Angie's side, like the front of the car. Um, we were, you know, what's funny is the last memory we had was just laughing cause we were driving by the apartment that my girlfriend, uh, was now living in cause she had left me for another guy. And we were like pointing at the Hollywood towers. Like, yeah, that dude lives there. Dude, I thought the guy was gay that she left me for. So when I found out she had left me, I was like, he was gay. She's like, no, he's yeah. not gay. And I'm in love with him. I'm like, what the fuck? And so me and Andrew are just laughing at that, and we're crossing the intersection. Uh, I remember we just see the this huge like Toyota truck just coming right at us, going like eighty, and then it just hits like in the front passenger side, and and then I wake up and I'm on the the ground, and I got blood in my eyes, and there's this guy standing over me, and he's like, and he's like, you know, stay down, and I start apologizing, and the guy's like, no, 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 he's like, the dude was drunk, man, he's like, you're fine, dude, and the ambulance shows up, and then I see Ange. I I could have sworn I saw this and people say that he never got out of the car, but I see Ange get out of the car and sit down in the front of it. And so I'm like, oh, he's fine. And then the ambulance takes me and I go back to the hospital and I'm there, you know, overnight. um, And then everybody starts showing up and, and I just thought they were like being supportive. And I keep asking, like, what happened to Ange? And, uh, and nobody will tell me anything. And, and then Angela's parents walk in and, and then they broke the news. And then I don't remember anything for the next like four days. Cause that like, that's what started my, my drug addiction was that I was, I was just, I couldn't handle it. It's like, I lost like the love of my life. I lost like the funniest person, the person that I was going to work with forever. But now I finally dealt with it. And I've used the way Angelo, the reason people loved Angelo is because dude, he was just such a special person. It was all love. Yeah. Dude. When, when we, I remember there was a time we drove out to do this show in the city of orange and we get there and there's like two people. And I'm like, dude, we just drove an hour for this shit. And he's like, why are you mad? He's like, we get to do stand up. This is great, man. Yeah. He's like, we, we, you know, we are having the time of our lives. We're on the road. He just had such a good outlook and he lived in the moment. And, and that rubbed off on people. And I think
0: people forget that those are the, those relationships that you form when you're young are the ones that you will have for your entire career. A hundred percent. My guy like that is obviously Tom. Isn't yeah. Like that's Tom. And I were just, he was as broke as I was, if not more broke. I had two kids Tom was living in Koreatown and uh we drove out to the fucking Brea improv every single every chance we had to go do stand up. And so those long car car rides, those long conversations, those laughing hysterically moments, those are the ones that bond you forever. Oddly enough, was whatever what happened to the guy that hit you guys?
1: The guy that hit us, uh, was twenty one, uh, never been in trouble with the law. I think he got sixteen years. Um he has to he won't get he has to at least serve thirteen before he comes up for release. So that was seven years ago. So he's got six more years. He's still in prison? Still in prison. Young kid, man. Just, you know, his parents were immigrants and like he's first generation American and uh What's his he, ethnicity? Uh Ecuador or I think El Salvador or something like that. But he didn't have any insurance. Oh. uh there was no insurance in it. I had insurance, but I only had, uh, if I hit somebody else's car, but I did have uh, uninsured driver insurance, and uh, the ex-girlfriend, right, as we were breaking up, I was like, because I didn't have a bank account at the time, because I was so broke, so I was, like, here's a, I was like, here's $75, can you at least just pay my car insurance? And she said she had done it, but she didn't, so there was no insurance on it. And luckily, Angela's family had some insurance, and in that, that got them money for the funeral. And then everybody was so sweet and like raised money for me and for Angelo's mom. And and then I took that money and spent it all on drugs because right. I was just completely like devastated. Was he
0: was Angelo wearing a seatbelt?
1: Yeah, he was wearing a seatbelt. I wasn't. So we got hit. I that flew out no of the car. no fucking sense. Well, I think it was all internalized. Like I think his whole insides were so you know, I don't want to call it soft, but, uh, you know, he had just had a tumor removed from his chest. So it was and it like literally oh. with, with before, like not even a month. So we got hit hard and then you get hit by the seatbelt and all this stuff starts oh, shifting yeah, and yeah. there's all these different, it's not did just they your say, body. Did they say that he passed from internal bleeding? Yeah. Or? So this is why there was a girl that was the, um, that was the, uh, she was a nurse, but she also was like a big connected person to the LA comedy scene. She, she said to me that I'd never seen them try to save somebody as much as they tried to save Ange. like hours, like just putting, they use so much blood because he just, they could not get it to stop and then he'd get him Jesus stabilized Christ. and then he'd go into cardiac and then they bring him back to life. And it was just over and over for hours. And, and, uh, you know, he, I don't know if, if he doesn't have that cancer surgery, does he serve, you know, does he survive? I have no idea, you know, but it was, it was, it was really heavy. And, but now like I'm finally able to like accept it. And also it's like, there is no jam if there's no yeah. Angelo, because, and I'm not talking about me, like, but Angelo was the one that said to me, you need to combine, do something with music. Yeah. He's like, that is like, that is what you love. He's like, you love stand up, but you love music, figure out a way to put them together. And then the 500 is literally because of Angelo. I say that in the first episode, it's like, Ange loved Rolling Stone magazine and he knew so much about music. That he would make fun of me that I didn't. He'd be like, "How do you not know ELO?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I just never listened to it." So, all of this, this whole did they open for
0: Soundgarden? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I was like, (laughs) "Yeah, is that a Stone Temple pilot song?" Because I have no fucking idea. He, but he's the one that they said to me, "It's like how he just introduced me to so much." So this is a way. This podcast is a way to honor him, you know. And that's and I couldn't enjoy it more. And it's like when I'm listening to these records. 30 times and breaking it down and getting that weird information that I'm going to ask you or, or Tom or whoever about like that's, that's Ange coming through, man. So it's, it's just all any way to like carry his voice and, and keep that love that he had for, for this business alive, you know?
0: Well, dude, I, you know, I, I've been friends with you now for a few years and it's been, and it's been a question I've always had and that you didn't want to bring up because I like, I don't want to be hanging out at the club going, Hey man, Real quick, can you tell me everything I need to know about? So I've always played dumb, and I listened to the beginning of the podcast, and I went, "All right, I gotta find out. I want to know. I want to know everything about this because yeah. I knew that he had passed. I knew that it was a car accident. I didn't know about the cancer, but I knew he was great. Because don't you feel like it's it's
1: sad that his jokes don't get to go anywhere? Like, all that material just goes like... You know what's really cool? No, I know. And it's he would be bigger than all of us. That's the thing. Like, he probably would have written for Saturday Night Live or Late Night Show, and, you know, the the world was his oyster. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I remember Eric Abrams was still working for JFL, and he goes, this would have been the year that Angelo was going to get it. Like, we weren't even going to make him showcase. We were just going to have him do the second one and then just give it to him. And his life would have blown up. Yeah. Because he would have killed that and then everybody would be on his nuts and because everybody else was um the luckily his jokes were so memorable that mm. a lot of people uh started tweeting them and then there was a instagram on instagram a twitter feed called angelo's jokes i think it's a-n-g-e-l-o with a z angelo's jokes and I'll retweet some of them just so you guys can find it. But it's literally we just have a page of all of his jokes, just brilliant. A N G, so Angelo with a Z, I think. Angelo. See if I can find it. Jokes. Um, why would I be able to spell that? Here, I'll give you one of them. Uh, his, uh, he goes. Uh, my father always used to say to me, "There's no I, and you need to play football, faggot." <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's uh, here it is it's a-n-g-e-l-o-s jokes angelo's jokes okay nice so everyone go through
0: uh, that's one of the things that bums me out is when someone like that passes and you don't get to hang out and like get to know their stand up oh dude you would have loved him. all right i'm following him now oh, you he's you gonna would've... be posting new jokes but well what, what,
1: that's true <laughs> What sucks is that he didn't like social media, so that's gone. Also, what sucks is he hated being videotaped and having his material put out there because he was constantly writing, constantly yeah. growing. So there are some videos of him. Uh, if you type in Angelo Bowers in YouTube, you can find all of his material uh, that was. This is posted. what sucks is that like some of these jokes, you can tell he's young. That he, if if he had,
0: it's like a tell. If he, he has two, two or three things in here. And so like, if he is just a little
1: older in the business, he would have fine tuned them. Oh my God, dude. I'm telling you like me and Gerard always said, it's just like, there was nobody funnier than Angelo Bowers. Everybody believed that. And everybody, and just this, the the thing was the world and the LA comedy scene was really just starting to say, this guy is so great, dude. I remember when he died, uh, Aristotle made a made a, a documentary to play at his tribute of just question, just asking people like Fahim, Kyle Kinane, Bobby Lee, um, Jay, Chris Newberg, me, Yasser, Saratiana, Tripoli. Just we all just told our favorite Angelo story. Yeah. He also had the, one of the favorite myths about Angelo. Angelo had the biggest dick anybody had ever seen. Really? This nerdy guy. I mean, just he was so obsessed with sex and like yeah. he was like dating this girl and finally had a chance to do all the stuff he wanted to do sexually. And he would be, he'd just tell me, he'd be like, Josh, he's like, dude, I just ate a turkey hoagie and had sex at the same time. Like he just, he he just, he just, was such a deviant, but he was, and had this huge dick that, but he was also the most nerdy, brilliant joke writer you had ever met, man. Let me tell you my favorite Angela story because Please. I think you'll fucking yeah, yeah, love yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, me and Angela always used to say, um, you, if you're, if you're in a comedy contest and somebody has a disability, you're going to lose. Yeah, That's just the way it is. You yeah. can't beat the, the guy with the disability. So Ange is going to do his first showcase for just for laughs. Uh, it's at the laugh factory and he goes on the list and I'm with him. And, uh, Samuel J. Comro is on the list. Samuel J. Comro, very, very funny comic man. Guy's hysterical. He has Tourette's. And he, he's a crusher, dude. This guy is hysterical. Yeah. Uh, and so I noticed, and I point out to Ange, I was like, yo, you have to follow Samuel J. Comro. He, he's going to crush, and Ange starts getting nervous, right? So we're in the back. And Sam J. Comro goes on stage. And I'm when I say had the greatest set in the in the history of stand-up, yeah. the greatest set ever. Doing like, like, just, like, just like, oh my God. Uh, just like, you know, when I get a haircut, like, you know, I can die. Just like, it's just whatever. He is annihilating yeah. to the point where when he gets brought off stage, the host goes up and has to calm the audience down. Like, all right, guys, calm down. We've got down. more show. We've got more show going on. Ange is so... Nervous, and as he's Angelo, they introduce Ange. He walks on stage, the audience is still kind of like humming, I mean, beating the table, crying. Yeah. And Ange walks up there and he goes, You guys aren't gonna believe this, but I also have Tourette's syndrome, <laughs> and just all the comics in the back just dying oh. laughing. And this woman yells out, That's mean, and he's just like, I could give a fuck. And that yeah. was that was Ange, just this brilliant fearless guy that just had a brain that just knew how comedy worked
0: yeah well dude i think he would be very happy to see where you're going so i'll tell you right now man i'm glad to know that you're not like i i knew you partied but i didn't know the extent of it but i'm so happy for where you are right now thank you bro. the fact that you're so back into stand-up and focusing on the stand-up and the podcast i really feel like your your ship is about to take off like like your ship, yeah. You know, I think when the goddamn comedy champ blew up, that was your ship. But they made you sit in coach. Yeah, you should have been flying that ship. I needed
1: others to make that succeed. You know that. You, that you know show. what? You got
0: to do what you got to do to get by in this business. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I don't think, I don't think you got fucked. I think it could have been better with you at the helm or not. Who knows? Who knows? But dude, this new podcast is so fucking awesome, and I think it'll introduce you to a bunch of people that will then. It'll be you finding your fan base and then going starting off that first run of small theaters where you're doing like 600 seaters, adding nights. I think it's. I, I'm really happy for
1: you, man. Thank I'm you, buddy. Really, really I, I've, I you. couldn't be more excited doing this, man. It's 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 like like you said, dude. It's like one of those things was always trying to connect with people and not just fans, just just the people yeah. that I work with. And after I lost Angie, it was so hard and so to use this podcast as a way to sit down with people that I fucking love and respect and really connect with them. And that means more to me than anything. So I'm, I'm, I love this. Well, the podcast is the 500. What's You have anything else to promote? Uh, just go to just look for the 500 with Josh. Adam Myers, uh, comes out every Wednesday, Bert. You're doing it. Well, yeah, what What do we know? What, what album? album? Yeah. Well, that you, Reg told me that you wanted to do, uh, notorious B I G. Oh, um, on. You know what's funny is I told Segura that you wanted to do Live After Death by Notorious B.I.G. and he goes, that is the worst fucking idea. <laughs> well, you know why my, my main
0: reason is? Why? Well, that was me and him were on the cover of Rolling Stone together right when he died.
1: You were well, on the cover of Rolling Stone?
0: No, no, oh. no my, my, not my face, but uh, my article and his death were on Rolling Stone at the same time. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah, and, and that album came out right when i got famous from rolling stone fuck yeah dude so that was my that album was like what i listened to uh as everything took off for me this is great then this is the save it for the podcast because that's going to be fucking brilliant yeah i can't wait man i love it dude well congratulations you know i love you i'm so glad you entered my life because i've had so much fun working with you (laughs) thank you brother i love you to death awesome brother thank you